0: This is episode number 188, Water Fasting, Keto Diets, and Nutrient Absorption with Dr. Michael Clapper. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: Very active cooking meat creates carcinogens, cancer-causing substances. So the fecal mass that's going through the intestine after a meat meal is covered with carcinogens that rub on the colon wall. And because, going back to what I said earlier, there's no fiber in meat, not a speck of it, by the time the digestion process gets through with that steak or that burger, it's a tiny little ball of carcinogens that the colon can't get a purchase on, so it moves really slowly through the intestine, so the carcinogens have a long time to rub on the colon wall, and so the red meat eaters get a nasty instance of colon cancer, and a whole bunch of other inflammatory substances only found in meat.
0: If you're new to the show, I'm super stoked that you guys are here, and for longtime listeners, welcome back. It's such an honor to be able to continue to do this podcast and to bring such great information, not only to you guys, but that I get to learn as well. And from a learning perspective, today's episode is no exception. And despite the fact that I have been studying plant-based nutrition for over six years, there is still always something new to learn. And Dr. Michael Clapper is somebody that I really look up to, and he does such a great job teaching and explaining all kinds of different topics. Michael Clapper is a board-certified physician, internationally recognized teacher, and sought-after speaker on diet and health. In addition to his clinical practice and private consultations with his patients, he's a passionate and devoted educator of physicians and other healthcare professionals about the importance of nutrition and clinical practice and integrative medicine. He has written several books and authored dozens of articles for both scientific journals and the popular press. Dr. Clapper is well-known for taking complex medical topics and making them easy for everyone to understand. He's also an expert in water fasting after nine years on the medical staff at True North Health Center. And if you're not familiar with True North Health Center, it is a place where people can go if they have diseases like cancer high blood pressure type 2 diabetes and more and get treated by the medical staff there using fasting and plant-based nutrition and there have been so many people who have had amazing stories there and if you just want to go for a plant-based retreat they also do that as well He shares a lot of great information through his website and his YouTube channel, and I highly recommend checking him out. If you want to learn more about plant-based nutrition and you're particularly interested in the technical and medical side of what these foods, these animal products are doing to our bodies and getting a good medical explanation, he is your guy. We have a brand new baby on our hands at home, and it's pretty exciting. Lots of stuff to learn. And I'm pretty pumped to be moving on past pregnancy and into the next phase of this awesome journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Just hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like listening to podcasts. And every Friday I send out a free weekly newsletter letting you know what podcast came out for the week and any type of article that I've either written or come across that I think you'll find useful. Even though I'm not doing Crush It Mondays, while I am getting used to taking care of a newborn, I still am planning to do some blog posts here and there covering similar content to what I do in Crush It Mondays on my blog. So those will also be released in the newsletter. Go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter to sign up. And last, if you're enjoying the show, we really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Myself and my team read everything, and we appreciate all of your support, including your financial donations on patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney Show. You guys really mean the world to us, and all of your support does put wind in our sails and make us extra stoked. In today's episode, we talk about how Dr. Clapper found plant-based nutrition in the 1980s. That's right. He's been at this since the 80s. Dr. Clapper's initiative to educate medical doctors on curing chronic disease, not just managing symptoms like a lot of medicine does with his Moving Medicine Forward initiative. We talked about water fasting and medical supervised fasting. We talked about should athletes actually be fasting. We talked about why the keto diet is dangerous what meat does to your colon, heme versus non-heme iron and absorption of iron, and where vitamin B12 comes from, how to supplement, and how to know if you're deficient and what to look for in a blood test. Dr. Clapper is incredibly articulate and I hope you guys enjoy this awesome episode. Dr. Clapper, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
0: It's such an honor to get to chat with you. I've been a fan of your work for a really long time.
1: Uh, lovely. I'm a real fan of all athletes. Uh, I used to be by myself, all female athletes and all female vegan athletes. Good for you. Yeah, uh, It's just wonderful what you're doing and the message that you're conveying to your viewers. It's great.
0: Thanks. Uh, what kind of sports were you into or are you into?
1: Oh, I played some semi-pro baseball. i was a basketball player in high school and uh, I'm a cyclist. Not at your level, but uh, I love going out for 20 or 30-mile rides uh, on weekends. It's just it's just beautiful being out in the country.
0: Awesome. Are you in Florida now?
1: I'm in Florida now. I was in California for years. Uh, yeah. which, uh, my wife wanted to move back to Florida, so we're here in West Palm Beach, and it's beautiful. There's good cycling. Yeah. Well. It's a nice and flat, which I, love, which I yeah. enjoy. <laughs>
0: and I, I actually read that you were a resident in Vancouver um, in the 80s.
1: Indeed, I was. I uh, did my medical internship at Vancouver General and then went back to do training in anesthesia and surgery at Vancouver General and at St. Paul's. You know the city? Are you from there originally?
0: I live in Kelowna, which is about four hours from Vancouver.
1: Oh, you live in Kelowna. Yeah, I
0: moved up here about five years ago, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, Colona's beautiful on uh, the lake there.
0: Or oh, we're, yeah. we're waiting for you to come visit. We'll take you riding. <laughs> oh,
1: well, I'll take you up on that one. So let's keep it. Let's sit down by the lake. We're fairly flat though. <laughs> All right, we can
0: do it. <laughs> okay, so, great. so you you started discovering plant based nutrition and and also health benefits of it in the eighties. How did you Indeed. How did you come to that? Because. Like there's lots of people who, or not a lot of people, but like Brenda Davis is a good friend of mine and she was telling me how like Mm -hmm. the dairy industry was taking out ads against her in the 80s and telling her what she was doing is dangerous and it's really come a long way.
1: It certainly has. And uh, yes, Brenda, she just moved from Kelowna, that's right. So you guys have a connection there. Mm -hmm. She's so great. Uh, She really does credit her profession of dietetics, you know, the uh, light she shines on her subjects. As far as me, well, indeed, back in 1981, I was a resident in anesthesiology at Vancouver General in St. Paul's. I rotated between the hospitals, and I thought I was going to be an anesthesiologist for my whole career. But a couple of events started happening that really jolted my whole perception. First of all, I was uh, on the Cardiovascular Anesthesia Service, so it deals with people's hearts and blood vessels, and day after day, uh, I'm putting people to sleep, and I'm watching surgeons open their chests and open the coronary arteries in their heart, and from these arteries, they're pulling out this yellow, greasy gut called atherosclerosis, and uh, I knew very well what that stuff was. There was already studies in the journal saying that, uh, that it has to do with animal-based diets, and that uh, Dr. Frey Ellis had published a study of uh, his man with severe angina who went on a vegan diet and melted away his plaques, and six months later he's, he's climbing mountains in the Lake District in England. And so there's all sorts of light flashing that uh, this is a reversible disease. And I had a real uh, real interest in it because my dad died of clogged arteries. And uh, he was, by that time, he was already showing signs of angina and a blue leg. And so I know I clearly had the genes uh, for that disease. And one day I'm in the operating room and I'm watching the surgeon pull this particularly yellow, slithery, rubbery piece of guck out of a patient's arteries. And, and I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, man, that stuff looks like chicken fat. <laughs> and the little voice on my shoulder said, "There's a good reason why it looks like chicken fat, Doctor. It is chicken fat and cow fat and pig fat and fat of the animals this man's been eating." And and uh, it was so evident uh, to me at that point because I was eating lots of meat and cheese at the same time, and I knew from what my dad was going through that I was setting myself up for trouble. And then another event happened, uh, not quite in the medical realm, but it was just as powerful. At the same time, uh, I had been, after my medical school career, where I spent a lot of time in the trauma unit at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, I saw the worst of what humans did to each other, and I had vowed to at least get the violence out of my own life. And I was making a serious study of living a life of nonviolence, of uh, ahimsa is the, is the term the Hindus use about living a life of without hurting things to the greatest extent possible. And so I read Mahatma Gandhi and the Indian Saints of, about living such a life, and one night in Vancouver I'm out with a friend, um, we're uh, talking about, I'm pontificating about living a life of nonviolence while I'm polishing off a porterhouse steak at the local Kagan Cleaver, and uh, my friend looked at me with great compassion and said that, well, well and good Michael, but." In your satisfying your desire for the taste of meat in your mouth, you are paying for the death of that animal and for the next one in line at the slaughterhouse. Well, as soon as he said that, all my mind came up with all the old rationalizations. Well, that's what they raised them for, and the animal's dead already, and yada, yada, yada. But before I could get the words out of my mouth, the, that little voice said, You know, he's right. He's right. And when I went up to pay for the steak dinner, I felt complicit in a crime because I had spent my summers growing up on my uncle's dairy farm. And I saw all the violence inherent in putting meat on the table. I saw the cow shot in the head. i shot the heads off chickens. You know, I, there, There's no way to make meat and dairy nonviolently. And so, what I was seeing in the operating room and what I knew in my heart from that incident at the restaurant, I knew it was time to stop eating animals. So I did. Well, my body just loved it. Within 12 weeks, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my belly, my high blood pressure came down, my high cholesterol came down, I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body. And at that point, I realized there's something to this plant-based nutrition, and I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my career putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up, So, uh, so I did and I became a plant-based physician. This is 1981, uh, 1982 by then. And uh, i witnessed the same beneficial changes in my patients, their, their obesity melted away, their high blood pressure came down, their cholesterol got better and I became the happiest doctor I know. Well, my patients get healthy right in front of my eyes and uh, so I've been a plant-based doc ever since and uh, there's just no denying it once you see this and especially after you see it again and again, it, it's so evident uh, about the fuel you're putting in, in the body. It's either going to be one that produces health or disease, and uh, for that reason, I've become a pretty ardent advocate for plant-based nutrition for the health point of view, but also for the animals and the earth and, and all the other reasons that you know well and that we might touch on in our chat here.
0: Yeah, and so I, that's how it happened. I, I think it's pretty interesting that the medical profession has sort of lost sight Well, I think it's getting better, but it seems like it has lost sight of what it was supposed to be doing. Like now people are managing chronic diseases with drugs instead of curing them. And we have the ability to cure chronic disease, like a lot of the chronic diseases. And you're doing a really amazing thing going to medical schools and helping train physicians in how to actually cure chronic diseases instead of just treat the symptoms.
1: Oh, Sonia, you put your thumb on such an important issue here. You know, I often these days start, when we get up to the microphone and I start my uh, address to an audience with an apology for my profession, how grotesque this overlook of, of what our patients are eating ha- has become. It's just, it's embarrassing uh, that we practice medicine, like what our patients are eating has no effect on their, these diseases. Well, that's why they're sitting in front of us, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, clogged up and inflamed from what they're running through their arteries every four hours. But the doctors are eating the same stuff themselves and they don't know anything about nutrition so they don't mention anything about it. Then they just raise the statin dosage and raise the metformin and ought to lose some weight Joe, come on back next month and that's all patients here but the dosage of the medicines goes up. Well, uh, that's bankrupt medicine, that, that is just so… Uh, n- non-serving of the patient and the doctor. The, pa- the doctors are getting discouraged, ah, they're all getting fatter and sicker, they all need stents, they all need bypasses. That's right, doctor, you don't talk to them about what they're eating, that's exactly what you're going to see, but these are reversible diseases. These are preventable and they're reversible diseases. They'll run a whole food, plant-based diet through those arteries, day after day, meal after meal, and the plaques melt away and the joints stop hurting and the skin clears up and the high blood pressure comes down and the, and the diabetes gets better and the migraine headaches go away and the asthmatic lungs stop wheezing and they turn into normal healthy people. And So I'm going around to the medical schools of the, of the nation and in Canada as well uh, as part of our Moving Medicine Forward initiative. And I give those young students the lecture I wish somebody had given me 50 years ago, that is from what your patients are eating. Before you order another $1,000 scan, and another $500 set of blood tests, ask them what they ate yesterday. And if it's full of burgers and buffalo wings and pepperoni pizzas, that's where to start. Send the patient to the plant-based dietitian. let her do the counseling, let her show them the videos, let her take them shopping, you see them back in a month, and see if they're not better, which, which they will be. And so it's time to shift the whole paradigm of Western medicine, starting with the food, like Hippocrates told us to do. We, we, you know, I've coined a term that, uh, you know, I want to reach the students before pharmacosclerosis sets in their brain, and they think that drugs are the only therapy, it's once you're to eat it. start there. So, uh, and and the students are very open to it now, because in every first, second, third year medical school class, there's now 20 or 30 students who've seen movies like Forks Own Knives, they've seen What the Hell, they've seen Cowspiracy, they've seen Game Changers, and the light's on. They know uh, something's up with nutrition. So it's an easier sell than it used to be in the 80s when, when, when we started this game.
0: So why do you think Uh a lot of the the doctors who are like in their forties, fifties, sixties, turn their head the other way? Because like people trust what their doctor says about nutrition. And I've personally, I'm sure that doctors don't appreciate me going in there and trying to like tell them that they're wrong. (laughs) But like, why do they turn their head the other way whenever there's so much information out there saying like, no, like you don't have to have diabetes forever.
1: Such an important question. And as mentioned, there's three things. One, we are totally ignorant of the subject, Nutrition just simply isn't talked about in four years of med school. You're so focused on physical diagnosis and biochemistry and surgery and and uh, how to set fractures. Also, nutrition, boring stuff. Yeah, send them to the dietitian; she'll take care of them. So it, it's uh, we don't know anything about it. It's a sissy science. It's not real medicine. It's uh, that's just for the dietitians to deal with. And third, the doctors are eating it themselves. They don't want to stop eating their steak and their lobster and their cheeseburgers, and so they're not going to tell their patients to do this. And so you wind up with that sad spectacle of the doctor walking in the exam room with a big pot belly and a pocket full of statins and beta blockers. And what kind of example is that to set for your patients? And so, and the fact that your patient is sitting in front of you because of a dietary disease. You can cure them. They can cure themselves with a with a change of diet. How can you withhold this information from them, doctor? And I I show them all the studies. And then I towards the end I put up a pretty provocative slide. I, I I've got all the diseases: diabetes, hypertension, clogged uh, arteries, all the stuff. And I said, knowing how reversible these diseases are and with a whole food plant based diet. And I click the slide and this freak shows up and it says, you want to heal these patients or don't you? I mean, really, doctor, why don't you go into medicine? You want to heal these patients? Then get real about what they're eating, because that's why they're sitting in front of you. They're not there because of statin deficiency. They're there because of cheapers and peaches going to their bloodstream every few hours. Well, stop the cause of the disease. You'll get better. If they're drinking contaminated water and getting diarrhea, wouldn't, wouldn't you tell them to start boiling the water and then change their, their water source? Well that's what you're looking at in, on the fruit size here, Doc. You want to heal them or don't you? Uh, let, let's get real about the powerful role that nutrition plays in, in your patient care. And you'll be and I tell you, you'll become the happiest doctor you know, You just like I am. Your patients will get healthy. What more could you want for your patients? Isn't that why you went into medicine to see your patients get healthy so they don't need you. <laughs> in fact, I tell my patients, I want to see you in two places and two places only. I want to see you at the health food store buying your tempeh, and I want to see you on the bike path where I'll wave to you as, as we go by. That's <laughs> the only time I want to see you, folks. Go live your life out of the clutches of doctors. Don't spend your life as a professional medical patient. And they're, and they're relieved to hear that message. So time to change. The old order has to crumble and a new one uh, has to emerge and that's what we're trying to do with our moving medicine forward in this year. Thanks for asking about that.
0: Cool. So I want to ask about fasting because a lot of people ask me about it. And I think like, first I want to talk about the health benefits, but as an athlete, I think I'm confused as to when it's appropriate to even use it because if you're training six days a week and you're kind of in a glycogen depleted state almost all the time anyway, when is fat? So the two questions are, let's talk about fasting, intermittent fasting and water fasting and the health benefits and the weight loss benefits. And then number two, when is this appropriate for athletes?
1: Oh, such powerful question. Uh, before I do that, uh, Sonia, let me just put a little PS on uh, my last uh, piece about our movie Medicine Forward initiative. If people would like to learn what we're doing, if they would like to bring me to a medical school near them, if they got a, if they got a medical student in, in school or so they know someone who's on the faculty of the med school, or if they'd like to help us out with a... Tax-deductible donation because uh, these plane tickets, flying around these med schools, are expensive. Uh, go to my website, drclapper.com, d-o-c-t-o-r-k-l-a-p-e-r.com, and click on "Moving Medicine Forward," and you'll see uh, what we're doing and how you could help. And that'll okay, be in the that'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yes, thank you. So Cleo, we yep. can use your help. It's uh, it's important. Thank you so much. Okay, so you're asking, what about fasting? Fascinating subject and for eight years I was on the staff at True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California and we did therapeutic medical fasting and um, it's a powerful, powerful tool but it's a huge subject with lots of facets and nuances here so let me try and break it down. you know, if we turn the clock, the evolutionary clock, back a million years ago to our ancient foraging ancestors on the African savannah, uh, looking for roots and tubers and running away from leopards, uh, it was um, not hard to think that probably it was frequent that four or five days would go by before you found the next berry bush with fruit on it, or the, the carcass rotting in the sun, whatever they were using for calories. Uh, and these these intermittent fasts were the rule, and you you'd have to go for four or five days with no carbohydrates. And when that happens, after about forty-eight hours, the body switches into burning fats um, and. Uh, these molecules from the fat burning, called ketones, come in the bloodstream, and they signal some remarkable changes in the body. And the body uh, inflammation subsides, cancer growth slows down or stops. The body starts cleaning out cells of, uh, of debris. Uh, it's a helpful thing to go into a state of ketosis for a few days every month or two. Lovely. Uh, I think it's very therapeutic. Uh, that said where well, coming into the 21st century, a couple of things have happened to, dis- to do- distort people's ideas of fasting. One, the, um, uh, a lot has to do with the food that you're eating on a daily basis. The long fast that people do—these three, four-week fasts that we would supervise at True North—these are official medical fasts for for medical reasons to so lower runaway high blood pressure. Someone's got a rip roaring lupus and they're all inflamed. These folks benefit from a long water fast because it calms down the inflammation, melts away plaques in the pl- arteries. It's a wonderful thing to do. But if you're fasting more than three, four, and certainly five days, you want to be in a place where there's doctors around who know what they're looking at. So these long fasts, that's a medical procedure that you would would need supervision for. People can check out True North Health Center in California for that. But you're asking about intermittent fasting and and fasting that people can do at home. Uh, And there's a couple of benefits, but a couple of cautions about that. Anytime we're not eating, it's a good thing, the body starts moving back towards that anti-inflammatory clean-out state. So the intermittent fasting uh, term that you use, what it's implying is that when we go to sleep at night, we're obviously not eating, and so you're fasting, uh, and that's why the first meal of the day is called breakfast, and. During that time, you don't really go into ketosis overnight, but only your body's starting to move to that direction, and the early changes, the early anti inflammatory changes, are starting to gear up. So the folks behind the intermittent fasting idea say, well, hmm. Let's see if we can open up that window here. Let's stop eating at about 6 in the evening. Be done with food. Do, do your eating from 12 noon to 6 in the evening. You have six hours of eating, the soups and the salads and the greens and all that stuff. Come six or seven in the evening, be done with food. You can have a little herbal tea in the evening, but that to be done with certainly calorie containing food, carbohydrates and protein stuff. Be done with that by six or seven. Then you you go into that stage of pre fasting, and it lasts all evening. You goes through the nighttime hours. And then when the sun comes up around six or seven in the morning, when people would go down and start shoving a bunch of carbohydrates in their mouth, the intermittent fasting folks say, Well, oh, hold it. You, you're in that nice nighttime burn, fat burning gear. Let's keep that going all morning and let's hold off on breakfast until back at that noontime hour there. And so they're extending the fasting window to about 18 hours of fasting, drinking water, and just six hours of eating. And this, uh, this seems to have wonderful effects as far as weight loss, as far as general detoxification, as far as. Uh, Cleaning out the body—it's a lovely thing to do. We we spend too much time eating, and so pure intermittent fasting is is fine. But there's a couple of things, especially people when they get into the uh, the ketogenic diet. You know, we're Americans. You know, if a little is good, more must be better, right? Well, if four days or five days of ketosis does you good, how how about three weeks of ketosis? How about two months of ketosis? I'll just stay in ketosis all Forever. the time, right? Well, Oh my! Don't do that. Ketosis is—it's a stressful state on the body. It's an emergency state. It's—you know—if you're driving your car on the highway and you've got to pass a truck, you know, you pull out in passing gear and you passing lane and you hit the gas and rah, you hit passing gear, boy, and your car accelerates and you feel that power and you passes the truck and you get back in lane. Yay! Great. Yay! passenger. But you don't want to drive from Los Angeles to Seattle in passing gear. You'll burn out your engine. It's a, it's a hard, stressful gear. And the same thing with being in the fasting state For long periods of time, these are acidic molecules. The ketones are acidic. I think mean, it's hard on the kidneys, hard on the liver, hard on the bones. We don't know what it does to your cancer risk. This, this is not a, an approved, safe thing to do. And I'm afraid because these folks are often eating lots of meat and high-protein diets, they're packing their intestines full of of meat, There's a great way to give yourself colon cancer and clogged arteries and strokes and diabetes. I think these are dangerous diets. As I said, a few days of ketosis every month or two, that's okay. But I really frown on these prolonged states of ketosis. And finally, we get down to the athlete. Now this is a special case, and you mentioned glycogen depletion. For good reason, these are the stored sugars that are in your muscle. And when I was working in True North, when people would start a water fast, we would say, listen, you don't need to stay in bed. In fact, we don't want you to. We want you moving around. We don't want blood clots or pneumonias. We want you moving around. But move easily. You can do a little yoga. You can do a little stretching. But that's about it during the water fast. Why do we say that? because your, the, your blood sugar goes down during a fast, so your, your liver will keep enough sugar in your blood to keep your red cells alive, but that's about all. And people run these lowest sugars, which is okay. But boy, you then go out for a run or do a, an elliptical workout in the gym, and all and that little bit of blood sugar you got in your bloodstream gonna go through your big old quadriceps muscles and it'll burn it right down, and you'll drop your blood sugar to dangerously low levels and uh, that's a recipe for severe hypoglycemia. So for that reason, we say if you're fasting, catch up on your reading, do your meditation, do your yoga, and that's about it. But no aerobic moves, uh, motion or uh, exercise on a, on a water fast. So that's the, the general caveat, we're afraid of burning that blood sugar down too low. But also it depends on the person's daily diet. If they're the standard American eating meat and cheese and, and pizzas and chickens, yeah, a good water fast, you know, every couple of months, good idea that they clean up their diet. But if you've got someone like you who's already a, a, a vegan eating a lean, clean, plant based diet, on some you don't need to fast. You're eating mostly fiber and water. Your tissues aren't all jammed up with animal fats and, and inflammatory proteins and things like that. The more clean you get in your diet, the less you really need to, to do official fasting. So at the most, you can do that little intermittent fasting of that 18-hour window. But for the lean, clean, vegan folks, not only don't they need to do these long fasts, but often, if they don't have a lot of body fat, they don't do so well. Uh, by day four or five, their blood pressure's drop dropping. They uh they don't have a lot of reserve fat. They're not they're not great fasting folks compared to the big heavy meat eating folks all loaded up with fat. They're good fasters, but they also got a lot of diseases. So the lean vegan folks um, fasting's not really something they want to do on a long basis but uh, if you want to try experiment with the intermittent fasting schedule and uh, and hold breakfast off till noontime and be done with your eating at six in the evening uh, it's worthwhile and we'll see how your body feels about that. that that would be about the extent of it i would say for a vegan athlete but no no big aerobic challenges while you're water fasting
0: and what about if you're a lean non-vegan because a lot of people listening are plant curious and they they add in plant foods but they're not plant-based but they're lean athletes and many people are interested in health, but they're also a cyclist. Like we're all really interested in maintaining a low race weight. So what about people who are lean and they want to fast for weight loss, but they're still, they're not eating vegan.
1: Right. If they're lean, they just don't have a lot of body fat. And I don't think they got a a whole lot of reserve. Everybody's different and it depends how long the fast is, how vigorous uh, your workout is. But again, there's always a danger of, uh, of dropping your blood sugar too low. If you're a cyclist, you gotta eat. Yeah, that's what you are, burning lots of calories uh, when you're making those wheels go around. And this is no time to deprive yourself of calories. This is no time to uh, to stress your muscles. Your muscles got enough of a, a aerobic and acidic burden dealing with the lactic acid and all that to throw an extra load of acidity uh, due to a ketogenic diet on top of them, you know, I'm not an exercise physiologist. Uh, you know, they're, they're in the laboratory, they might find some interesting effects there. But by and large, it, it's the opposite of what you want to do on, on, on a uh, um, uh, for athletic performance. Is deprive your your muscles of nutrition. So. Uh, yeah, everybody can experiment with it, but if you, you get lightheaded or headachy or whatever, that's your body screaming hypoglycemia and uh, not not worth it. Uh, fuel your body uh, as you've been doing in the past. You'll do fine.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to clarify that because even the 18-hour fast, people will skip breakfast, get on their bike and ride to try to do like a fat-burning ride, which you can do, but th- that can be really bad for you. And it's like, eh, you're walking a fine line. <laughs>
1: You, you certainly are. And you're flirting with, uh, uh, again, we're, we're dropping that blood pressure down, but headaches, lightheadedness, man, you don't want to fall off that bike going 40 miles an hour. Uh, on every level, it's, it's not a good combination. You're, you're there as an aerobic athlete, will fuel your muscles like, like they are demanding and, and save your fasting for a quiet weekend when you can
0: catch up on your meditation. Yeah, I think that that's something I I haven't looked in the literature at all to see if there has been anything about fasting and athletes and how to do that for endurance athletes and how to do that appropriately. Because even with a water fast, if you say, okay, like I've been eating all this crap, like I'm going to once every three months do like a three day water fast, but you're not going to be recovering from your training load if you're not eating. And then when you get back into the sport, you might feel bad. So yeah, an appropriate protocol might be interesting for that.
1: Oh, absolutely. So you, you really put your finger on another very important point uh, in that because people come in, how much weight am I going to lose? And uh, they, they view it from the weight loss point of view and I say, listen, this is not about weight loss. Fasting is about health. You'll lose some weight on the fast, but it's mostly water out of your tissues and glycogen that you're burning out of your muscle. You'll drop four or five pounds uh, during a week-long water fast, but as soon as you start eating and drinking, the water comes right back, the glycogen comes back in your muscles, and you haven't lost any weight. I did all the week-long fast, I didn't lose any weight. It's not about weight loss. Weight loss happens. Uh, you know, and I tell the folks, uh, you know, the fasting is very nice, but it's a blip on the screen in your life. What matters is what you eat after the fast. It's the food stream day after day, meal after meal, week after week, moving through your tissues. That's what creates a lean, healthy body, not seven days on water. Uh, You you keep that belly full of whole plant foods, which are mostly fiber and water, the calorie density is so low, the the calorie density is so low, you can't hold fat on it. You're going to get lean eating a a whole food plant-based diet. Your body will know what to do with it. it. It happens automatically. Don't ask for fasting to create weight loss. And it happens, again, on those daily food choices. I mean, you said in your question, well, you've been eating crap, but then I want to do four or five days. It's the eating of the crap is the problem. It's not that it's not. But you know, keep your belly full of fruits and veggies and whole plant foods, and the weight will take care of itself. You don't have to ask fasting to, to do that for you.
0: So you touched on the keto diet, and this is another question that comes up a lot in my community of, well, you know, I changed my diet to a keto diet, and I've seen health benefits, my blood pressures come down, or whatever, or I feel amazing as an athlete. So can you kind of debunk why people initially feel really good on a keto diet, and why keto diets are actually incredibly dangerous?
1: Thank you. That's such an important, and we see this with the paleo diet as well, and uh, people initially lose weight. They stop the, uh, a lot of the junk food. They stop most of the diets. say stop the flour products, stop the baked goods. Most of them say stop the dairy. The paleo folks say stop the oils. Well, you stop the, the baked goods, dairy, and oil out of your diet, man, you're going to lose weight. And the weight loss itself will do nice things for you. You're going to feel lighter and better. Your, your cholesterol will go down from the weight loss. Blood sugars get better uh, and just from plain weight loss for any reason. And so people say, ha, see, it's good for you. And then the pro-keto coaches say, yep, see, I told you, it's great. But as a physician, watching these folks, especially using high-protein, meat-based diet to get themselves in ketosis, we'll talk about the vegan keto in a minute here, but the folks doing this, I say, yeah, you may get these initial improvements, but I tell them the medical, medical audience, do not be seduced by these early initial benefits. That's just from the weight loss. The question as physicians, uh, to this individual patient is packing their intestines full of meat three times a day, what are you cooking up in this patient's colon? The wall. I mean, uh, as far as the colon cancer, what are you doing to this patient's arteries? What are you doing to her breast tissue with all the hormones um, that get stirred up from the meat? Now, what are you doing to this guy's prostate gland? What diseases are you spawning in this body beyond their times, uh, uh, their splits time for um, their bike racing? You know, I'm doing that person 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and I, and I ask these keto coaches and the docs and the advocates, you're going to be around in 10 years when this guy passes his first bloody stool from that colon cancer, your diet spawned in his colon wall, You wouldn't even be around to see it. This is drive-by health nutrition advice. You're going to be around <laughs> 15 years when this lady gets her stroke from that carotid plaque that your that your keto diet spawned in her arteries. You wouldn't even be around to see it. You think you've done something good for this patient. You're going to be around in 12 years when this lady's joints light up from the inflammatory arthritis that the leaky gut that your diet caused from the bacteria that get spawned from eating all this meat, you'll be around to see that. You won't even be around to see it. And you think you've done something good. But as the physician, we got to clean up this mess. We are not carnivorous apes. We are plant-eating creatures. We are plant-eating simians. We've got. Basically the same digestive system that our bonobo and gorilla cousins have, and they're up in the trees eating leaves and fruits. They eat a high fiber whole plant food diet, and we are, we are basically those creatures. We are not we, uh, carnivorous apes that eat the diet of mountain lions, with, uh, with a tiny little piece of flesh once a month hurt no. But man, do do not think that a flesh-based diet is in any way healthy for this homo sapiens body because look at the epidemic of strokes and heart attacks and colon cancers and prostate cancers from what our patients are eating. And so uh, I tell folks, you may get these early changes, but but don't think this is the diet that you should ride on the rest of your life because it's a diet of death, ultimately. It's going to kill the people, kills the animals, and it's going to kill this planet. I mean, are they seriously proposing a flesh-based diet three times a day for nine billion people? It's going to destroy this planet. What are they saying? How irresponsible to be advocating this at this time, despite what it does to the homo sapiens body, what it does to this planet. It's time to get off that train and get it back to... What Hippocrates said, we are plant-eating creatures, let food be your medicine. Uh, so Hippocrates didn't talk about the plants, but although he was, I'm told, was a vegetarian, he knew something. So again, now, people should not be seduced uh, by these uh, early changes, and, uh, and there's nothing to be gained Um you know, the vegan keto folks, again, it's they still wind up with ketosis week after week. This is hard on the kidneys. I think these folks are riding themselves a ticket to the dialysis machine. This uh, we, we see that ketones can be hard on the kidneys. We can often see creatinine levels going up. Again, it's a state of of stress and repair, but it's not a state you want to stay in week after week. It's harmful to the body as far as I can see. And again, the vegan keto folks... The, the the healing comes from after, you know it's from the plant foods it's from the fiber and the phytonutrients and the lack of the meat and the deer. that's what's healing the body it's not being in ketosis uh, you know that's not the issue need a whole food plant-based diet and get on with it already the body will know what to do with it
0: and you're amazing at taking complex medical topics and making them really understandable for people like me. Uh, can, you, can you go through just a few of the things about meat and why it's really damaging for your colon?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, again, we've got a long intestinal tract that is looking for whole plant fiber. So to get a purchase on, it wants a soft, high fiber stool mass that the intestine can get a person that contraction ring goes down the intestine, that muscular tube of the intestine so it can push the fecal mass along so the fecal mass doesn't linger very long in the intestine. And it's basically just decomposing plant fiber, they're benign carbohydrates. And um, they have beneficial fiber, the resistant starches, that are in the beans and lentils and legumes, uh, the colon bacteria turn that into uh, butyrates and things that help nourish the colon. Well, we're plant-eating creatures. You know, it's like, you know, you got a nice uh, new car, Volkswagen, uh, whatever, uh, and you put high-test gasoline in it, it runs great. But if you decide, hmm, I'm going to try diesel fuel in there, and diesel fuel is kerosene. It's oily. It doesn't burn clearly. start from running diesel fuel in there, your gas line is going to clog up, the spark plugs foul, and the black smoke comes out, and it coughs, and it stops. Well, it's the wrong fuel, and you gummed up the works from that. Well, the same thing. Uh, Meat in the diet is full of of fat and cholesterol that injure the artery walls and sets uh, people up for artery disease. We've got this long intestine, so well, let me me take it back a little further. The very act of cooking meat—nobody eats raw meat—so the very act of cooking animal muscle oxidizes cholesterol, so now you've got a lot of oxidized cholesterol particles that are highly atherogenic, and they injure the artery wall and uh, set off atherosclerotic plaque formation. But the very act of cooking meat creates carcinogens, cancer-causing substances, so the fecal mass that's going through the intestine after a meat meal is covered with carcinogens that rub on the colon wall. And because, going back to what I said earlier, there's no fiber in meat, not a speck of it, by the time the digestion process gets uh, through with that steak or that burger, it's a little tiny little ball of carcinogens that the colon can't get a purchase on, so it moves really slowly through the intestine. So the carcinogens have a long time to rub on the colon wall. And so the red meat eaters will get a nasty instance of colon cancer. And a whole bunch of other inflammatory substances only found in meat. There's this sialic acid called NU5GC that sets off inflammation throughout the body all meat comes from the slaughterhouse even organic meat and so the gut bacteria that, that covers every steak and chop that comes out of the slaughterhouse when those bacteria break apart their cell walls release this stuff called endotoxin that makes your gut leaky that's that makes your blood clot you know, we're, we're not carnivorous apes the uh, even the carnivores your house cat Mountain lion—they have very short intestines, where a few feet in and out, they don't want that meat rotting in their intestines. And again, it's another reason why we are plant-eating creatures. So, on every level—from the carcinogens to the uh, artery damage to the inflammatory proteins, the endotoxin—it's the wrong fuel. And if you're eating the standard American diet or the paleo keto diet, which promotes this. We're the, the doctors, the promoters, saying, oh, it's good. I want you to be percolating this oxidized animal protein, uh, this oxidized cholesterol, this new 5-TC. Keep that percolating through your tissues meal after meal, day after day, month after month. year You just keep doing that. That's good for you. And then we're shocked. When the patient comes in with inflamed joint, gee, how did that happen? And were, we're doctors puzzled when you know, the colon cancer or, uh, bleeds on the colon? Gee, bad, bad luck in the draw. Yeah, yeah, just got bad genes there, fella. And we play like, you know, these are etiology unknown. It was the food <laughs> that set these things off. So, but, but, you know, there's such a cultural barrier for, for us to seriously, we like those burgers. There's a huge economic thing between the agriculture department, the meat industry, the, the pharmaceutical industry, if you want to keep those drugs being prescribed. you know there's these juggernauts that we're fighting against to get this over to a plant-based society. But there's nothing else to do. that's why we're having this conversation. The, whatever we've used fishing up, we've used the ocean so if we use meat eating up, Whatever role the mighty hunter played, it doesn't matter, That's time. that era is over. We are being asked to become plant-eating creatures as an individual uh, who wants better health. And as a society, if we want to survive, uh, it's time for homo sapiens to honor our plant-eating heritage and become plant-eaters. Because if we do, the bodies will heal, we'll have money to spend on infrastructure with all the surgeries not being done. And the forests will come back, the waters will will clear, the soils will stabilize. They, as the forests grow, them, greenhouse gases will be taken out of the air. Now, the, the earth will heal, but it depends on all of us seeing the wisdom and necessity of adopting a plant-based diet. So that's why you and I are practicing important medicine right now uh, to get this message out. This is no, This is not a nicety at this point. You want to be healthy, you want to stay out of the clutches of people like me. Other uh, the doctors, you want to have a livable planet to give you that lovely child you're going to have, start eating whole plant diets and, uh, and all these things will be ours.
0: Yeah, I always think about, like, in terms of Eastern philosophy, the karmic um, cycle of that, like you eat an animal that was killed and then you get sick and die and the planet gets destroyed and humanity suffers. So, yeah, there's there's like some karma there. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so out of truth, you know, whatever, you know, in ancient times if people were starving and they they found a carcass rotting in the sun, I don't begrudge them for, for eating, it. fair enough. But to then to take that and turn that into a flesh-based meal three times a day, bacon and eggs for breakfast, cheeseburger for lunch, fried chicken for dinner. That's grotesque, and and the animals get their revenge, as you say, uh, with uh, with all this uh, disease and, and ultimately environmental destruction. So it's time for the healing. They happen to heal the, our relationship with the animals, with our own body, with the earth, and it all depends on a, on a plant-based diet, as you know very well.
0: And a lot of things that start happening over time, you can't really see, but like your poop, you can see every single day. And if your poop is like constipated or hard or... It's like a hard log. <laughs> that's not that. That's a sign Absolutely. of that's a sign of bad health.
1: Absolutely, it's such a it's such a good point. And those hard stools, uh, they're not good for many reasons. As I said, it that, that signifies a slow moving stool mass that, that smeared lots of carcinogens on the colon wall. It it, it sprouts out hemorrhoids. We gotta push real hard to get that out. And it's usually from the dairy. Um, milk and cheese are, are classically constipating for them, creating those kind of stools. And, but the mirror image is really what you want. When you're eating rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables, you wind up passing these big, soft, easy-to-pass stools uh, that uh, don't require any effort. And, and it speaks of health. And uh, we're among friends. It smells better. Um, a yeah. lot of this foul-smelling, fecal smells is from the rotted meat and the heme proteins, etc. And I often have guys coming up to me and they, you know, they look, me should know. Doc, since I adopt their plant-based diet, my farts don't smell anymore. My body odor, my wife says I don't smell bad anymore. Well, of course you don't because their body odor is the decomposing animal fats that work their way out into the skin oils. And and people smell it as they oxidize. Well, and that's another wink from the universe, another validation from the animals. That's right. Uh, that's your natural food is plants. Everything gets better, including the smell in the bathroom.
0: Yeah, and it's funny. We so we have a dog, and he's about a year and a half now. But he's actually a vegan dog and his poop doesn't really yes. stink and whenever we go visit it my definitely. parents like my mom likes giving him meat treats so she feeds him like little and i notice that his poop stinks really bad whenever we're down visiting and when yes, we're home do. his poop doesn't really smell bad
1: Yes, i rest my case well said. <laughs> that's the whole point well very well said that's true
0: so you've been using mm-hmm. the word oxidize a lot, and people are always hammering away at vegans about iron and like, oh, non-heme iron, you can't absorb it, and you're gonna be, you know, anemic. And we haven't talked about like it's it's often not talked about what happens if you're over-consuming heme iron, which is in animals. Can you talk about oxidation and toxicity, and also the absorption of non-heme iron?
1: You bet. Such an important topic. You're very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's talk about this. Again, especially in the bodybuilding athletic community, there's this stigma. You know, you can see Schwarzenegger with his rippling muscles and protein, iron. You know, He-Man. Well, the protein's got its own issue. We can talk about that if you want. But what's what's up with this iron? Oh, red meat. Oh, I want red meat muscles. I want. And so they eat their steaks and their burgers and they want to get all the iron. Well, they get that iron, but there's an issue. Now, iron's important. We need it for our, the hemoglobin in our blood and a few other chemical reactions, that's all fine. But iron comes in two forms. There is so-called non-heme iron, and that's the iron that's in plants. And dark green vegetables, especially, um, as Popeye reminds us, uh, has iron. In the old Popeye cartoons, he opened up the can of spinach. Well, uh, why was he doing that? Because the iron in the spinach Da, da, da. absolutely. And, and and there is indeed iron in green plants. It's also in dried fruits, raisins and figs in Africa, they have iron. But it's non iron. it's not attached to that molecule of hemoglobin that's in the blood of animals. Why is that important? Because the lining of your intestine has the ability that if your iron stores in your bone marrow are full up, if, you're, if you've got plenty of iron on board, you don't want more iron. Iron overload is a nasty condition because iron is an oxidizing agent. Have you ever seen a car bumper out in the rain? It rusts uh, it, and that happens because it yanks electrons off and passing molecules uh, and, and damages them. That's the process of oxidation. And so, if you have iron overload and your tissues are saturated with iron, you're going to start ripping electrons off cell membranes and proteins and DNA and uh, wild uh, oxidation, uncontrolled oxidation in the body. It's a damaging process. You don't want a bunch of uh, of iron atoms uh, uh, oxidizing your tissues by ripping electrons off of them. Well, back to the intestinal lining. If you've got plenty of iron in your bone marrow and in your tissues, your intestinal tract can look at that non-heme iron in, in the spinach and say, oh, no, we got enough iron on board, we're not going to allow that non-heme iron into the bloodstream, yay. But heme iron, the stuff that's that in the red meat, your body cannot control the absorption. That stuff leaps into your bloodstream whether you like it or not. And if your iron stores are already saturated, too bad. Uh, you eat that red meat burger, and that heme iron is going to leap into your blood, and burger after burger, steak after steak, as the months go by, you do wind up with iron overload. We see this commonly among men, and, it's, and it damages the artery walls. It uh, sets people up for, um, for strokes. Now, we find the folks with the iron overload get colon cancers, and they get strokes, and, uh, and we can talk about the subtle mechanisms, but they're both signs of iron overload. So again, you know, if a little is good, more must be better. Well, you, we've done that with the red meat thing and the iron thing, and a little iron is good, more must be better. Well, it's not. And, and again, you know, the gorillas, I've never had a gorilla in the office with iron overload, you know, because they're, they're, they're eating plants all day. And you know, no giraffes uh, have come in with iron overload because uh, their bodies know how to keep the excess iron out. So again, more is not better when it comes to red meat and heme iron.
0: Yeah. And something that I thought was interesting through, I did the eCornell plant-based nutritional studies certification, and they talked about how women with their period, like they have the opportunity to bleed out some of that heme iron. And one of the reasons that they think women may live longer than men could be because we have a period and we don't have this higher state of oxidation in animal eaters.
1: That's absolutely true. Uh, women of reproductive age, you guys are losing iron every month and that really protects you unless you're eating lots of dairy, so that gives the, the wall of the uterus extra thickness so if you bleed extra heavy and you lose extra iron, that will lead you into anemia. But if you're, but the vegan women have lighter periods and better iron balance because they, they absorb that non-iron to just the right amount and they don't lose, lose excessive amounts with their periods. But, then, you know, by contrast, that's why I said men, you know, the problem, we don't menstruate, or we can't get rid of this iron. And most menopausal females as well, we can't, they can't get rid of it. And, and that's why it's a, real, uh, it's a real hazard. So even though that ancient image of red meat and virility, um, get it from plants. Uh, the gorillas live longer than, uh, than, than we do if they eat the right food.
0: And like people that um, are switching their diets, they're worried about getting enough non-heme iron or they're worried about their body absorbing enough non-heme iron. Is this a, a rele- like a relevant concern?
1: It's really not. If you actually do the studies, vegans do not have a higher rate of, of iron deficiency. in mean, you know, just don't. Now, you got to really eat the food uh, and the, the junk food vegans run into the problem. And you, you know, if you're looking to be healthy... You can't do it on granola bars and energy drinks. You got to really eat the salads and eat the greens and and have a handful of walnuts and maybe some raisins uh, if you're interested in iron. Get your iron level checked. It's an easy blood test to do it, cheap. Uh, and find out where you're at, but by and large, if, if your body is low on iron, your intestines know to, to let more non-heme iron in, but you got to eat it, you got to chew it up really well so it doesn't just pass out unabsorbed, so got I like those green smoothies that really blend blend up the, the greens there, but no, if you're short of, of non-heme iron, your, your intestines will, will let more into your bloodstream, That's uh, that's the mechanism. So, uh, so not to worry about it. eat plants and, and you'll be fine. Again, ask any gazelle, ask any racehorse. You know they have no problem with athletic performance on a purely plant-based diet, and they are not anemic. It's not an issue.
0: And one quick point I want to make, just for people listening, you mentioned junk food vegans being having all these deficiencies, and a lot of times, whenever you'll see an article on like BBC, like I recently saw this ridiculous article on BBC saying that vegans aren't as intelligent. And I, I was so fired up about this. I went through and I went through each individual study that they cited and I looked way, way, way into this because I I don't know, maybe it's because I'm pregnant and I was like, I got to get to the bottom of this. But all of the studies that they cited were with junk food vegans. And there was even a thing in Kenya where they were comparing like students eating or kids eating different types of soups. And the vegetarian soup was an oil-based soup. So like... Whenever you see studies out there saying vegans are unhealthy, I would highly recommend to people to delve into what these studies are saying and what type of, quote, vegan diet these people are eating. Because if you eat junk food, no matter what, you're going to be unhealthy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been a physician 47 years, and in my earlier years, delivered a lot of babies. I've delivered 420 babies, even babies, and about almost 30 of them were to vegan moms and dads. And I've and I've got enough gray hairs in my beards. I've watched two generations of these vegan kids grow up and have their own kids. Uh, and they grow up into healthy, strong, bright, intelligent people. And that idea that you're vegan, gets you're already and retire, it's just not so. They, they grow into lovely, healthy people with normal blood pressures who don't need a lot of services of people like me. So uh, so that whole thing is a really unfortunate distortion of uh, of, uh, of, the, of the picture. We are not at higher risk for mental issues.
0: And do you have an extra five minutes to talk about B12? absolutely great so like that's the thing. important that's mm-hmm. the thing that everybody yeah, attacks totally. and every all the all the media it's like well vegan diets are are great but they don't have any b12 but people don't think where they get their b12 to begin with if they're eating animals so yeah i'd love to just talk about b12 thank
1: you <laughs> uh vitamin b12 very important vitamin you need for your brain for your spinal cord for your blood you need some b12 Not much a couple of micrograms, a couple of millionths of a gram a few times a week is all you really need but where does it come from? People think, oh, it's in that red meat, God, i got to have my steak for the B12. But cows don't make B12, pigs don't make it, chickens don't make it, no animal makes vitamin B12. The vitamin B12 is made by microorganisms living in the soil. And the deer and the antelope and the buffalo have B12 in their muscles because they're eating grass all day and they're pulling up clumps of grass that have soil particles clinging to the roots. And in those soil particles are the microorganisms that make the B12. And so the cow and the pig you know, eat the eat the dirt particles. And in the in the animal's intestinal tract, the B12 is produced, it's absorbed into the muscles. And yes, you can kill the cow or the chicken and eat the flesh and get B12 that way. But the cow didn't make it. The chicken didn't make it, it was my B12 all along. Well, where does that leave us? Well, back a million years ago, 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, when we were living Earth-connected lives, the same B12 was flowing through our intestinal tract as flowing through the animals. Why? Because we spent all day foraging. Uh, no matter what the Paleo Mighty Hunter myth says, the reality is, when they analyzed the massive amounts of of fiber, these people are eating, and you can look at this the fossilized feces, the fecal droppings, the coproliths of the Paleolithic folks. You see the massive amount of fiber these people are eating 100 grams a day or more. Because the truth is, despite the paleo mythos, the majority of calories that our Paleolithic ancestors ate. Were gathered by the women who spent all day pulling up these starchy roots and tubers and edible grasses and, uh, and berries, etc. That's where the calories came from, and and we didn't wash those roots and tubers under chlorinated drinking water. There would be soil clean to the surface, and oh, we'd eat them, and we'd get B12 that way. When we were thirsty, we'd find in your stream, we'd plop down, we'd drink the stream water. Well, there'd be B12 in the stream water uh, from from the animals. So when we were living Earth-connected lives, the same B12 was flowing through our intestinal tract, like the deer and the antelope. Nobody had to take B12 supplements then. There was no uh, uh, no empty B12 bottles in the fossil record, and (laughs) nobody needed it. But... Welcome to the 21st century. Nobody's drinking out of streams, nobody's eating unwashed vegetables and due to modern sanitation uh, the, the natural B12 sources have been pulled out of, our, out of the plant eater's life. Now I'm okay with, with that, I mean, with chlorinating the drinking water supply, I don't want to be treating cases of cholera and typhoid fever, that's okay. But the, but the bargain we make for clean water and sanitation uh, is that the natural B12 sources have, have been plucked away from the plant eaters. So it's for that reason, as a concession to modern sanitation, that the plant eaters once or twice a week, you need something with a little B12 in it. That, yeah, you can put a little tablet under your tongue, but there's now they add B12 to soy milk and veggie burgers, and it's, it's around. Um, but it's just because of this modern, unnatural, artifactual life we're living, not the inherent deficiency of a plant-based diet that used to have B12 in it. That's why that we need to take that little supplement. But it's uh, but again, it's a concession to not have to deal with, with, with cholera. Uh, there's no, it's not a reason for them to wag pants. Yeah, it's an it's an unnatural diet. You got to take a supplement, and it's okay. We want clean drinking water. That's the exchange we make for it. But the diet itself is natural.
0: Yeah. And I think that I learned this from you and actually from Dr. Gregor did this two hour webinar on like, do vegans actually have an increased stroke risk? And what it came down to was in the UK, most of the studies saying, oh, vegans get higher are at a higher risk of stroke. Why? And it's because in, in the UK, a lot of uh, like foods are not fortified with B12. So people were showing in their serum that they had OK B12, but in their home, their homocysteine levels were not um, they're elevated. So just for people listening, like if you are a vegan and you're getting your B12 checked, you like look for elevated. If you have elevated homocysteine levels, that means that you might be deficient. Like that was something I just recently learned. So
1: Thank you. So, that's such important for your listeners. Uh, Vitamin B12 does good things for your nerves and all that stuff. But one thing it does, it helps your body get rid of this waste product called homocysteine. And if homocysteine builds up to high levels, it will injure the artery walls. And that's probably what was happening in those English folks. Well, take your B12 a couple times a week, keep your homocysteine down. They're well below 15, and uh, you should not uh, be at risk for any problems like that
0: awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show we could talk about this for hours like we both love this
1: oh for sure <laughs> great questions you're really good oh. you're an excellent interviewer oh thanks I really very much this i think we <laughs> have covered some important points thank you
0: great and drclapper.com is the best place for people to find you that hour just flew by so fast and there were so many things that i wanted to ask him that i did not even get to so maybe we get to have him back on the show again sometime Definitely check out Dr. Clapper's YouTube channel and his website that are linked in the show notes if you want more information. He has a lot of really great stuff out there. And one of my favorite lectures he does actually is on his YouTube channel and it's what he wished he would have learned in medical school. And the lecture is actually geared towards medical students but I personally loved it and I think that you will too. Thanks so much for being part of my community, for listening to the show, for being interested in all of the things. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you right back here next week.